Good morning. Good to see you all here. Uh, great to have Elevation people here and, uh, and uh, just happy to be with you. We're going to take a break uh, from our series in Philippians and we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. Um, this is going to be, uh, even if it's not a familiar passage to you personally, the name of it is going to sound kind of familiar in that it's called uh, traditionally the parable of the Good Samaritan. And uh, we, you hear that terminology a lot, the Good Samaritan, like this person was a Good Samaritan. And it's kind of lost its original meaning. We just know a Good Samaritan is someone who helps someone on the roadside or someone who helps someone in need. Oh, you're a Good Samaritan. There's whole organizations that are committed to helping people that, are, that go by the name with good in Samaritan and Samaritan's Purse, and there's all these things. Um, so, interesting thing about this passage is that I was reading it, preparing for this. I'm like, I've known this passage all my life, but something fresh happened when I read it this time, and it kind of opened my eyes to a number of things. I'm like, I never saw that before. Now, maybe someone preached on it and told me that, but I wasn't paying attention at that point. So I encourage you uh, to do better than I did. But uh, So I'm going to read uh, Luke chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 25. Uh, you have a brief interaction. We're, we're going to start there. Uh, so someone is engaging with Jesus in this passage. Verse 25. It says, then an expert in the law stood up to test him, being Jesus, saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this was a common uh, question in Jesus' day, uh, and he's going to uh, respond to that with a question. Uh, if you've noticed, Jesus often doesn't just answer questions he asks questions, and the people often ask questions back, and they bounce around. Sometimes he answers a question with a question, uh, which is kind of frustrating at times, but Jesus is often making a bigger point by answering with a question. So this is a, a common interaction that an expert in the law would have with a teacher. Uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, Jesus says, what is written in the law? He asked him, how do you read it? So instead of answering it, he goes, well, you give me your answer. And then in 37, it says, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. This, again, is a packaged answer that is often given by most of the people in Jesus' day. If you ask, okay, what are the two greatest commandments, or what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And they give these two answers, love God which is a quote from Deuteronomy, and love your neighbor as yourself, which is a quote from Leviticus. So he puts those together. Jesus goes, okay, how do you read it? And he gives a pretty standard answer. These are the two greatest commandments. These are the two things that you should follow that summarize what you should do. Jesus answers, uh, you've answered correctly, he told them. Do this and you will live. So he's like, okay, I agree with that. And then he's kind of leading the guy to this point in verse 29. Uh, it says, but wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, you may be kind of judgmental about that question. You're like, how could he ask, 
who is my neighbor? Everybody's your neighbor. But it makes sense. If you're supposed to love your neighbor, you probably need a definition. What, it, what is a neighbor? Who is a neighbor? Who fits with the bounds of neighborness? Who can that, like, because if you want to know, have I followed this command, you need to know who your neighbor is. Is it just your literal neighbors that are right next to you? Is it people who are in your city? Is it people who are like you? Is it people in your family? Is it people part of your church? What is a neighbor? So he's like, okay, I want to love my neighbor as myself, so I need this definition. But Luke adds something in there and says, wanting to justify himself. So basically he's saying, okay, if I want to love my neighbor, I need to know what a neighbor is, and I need to make sure that I'm doing this all correctly. I need to make sure I'm in the right. I need to prove myself. So if he answers in a certain way, I'm kind of off the hook because he's like, he's probably one of the answers that would be common in their day was, as Jewish people, they would say, who is your neighbor? Well, fellow, fellow Jewish folks, fellow people who are part of the nation of Israel. So we ask this question, who is my neighbor? Which I, I'm like, I'm not that judgmental about that. That makes sense. Who is my neighbor? Give me a definition so I can know if I am following, uh, following this command properly. But Jesus, I like how, how this passage is translated in this translation. Verse 30, Jesus took up the question... And you're like, oh no, Jesus just took up a question. What is he going to do? And he's going to tell a story. He's not going to answer the question. In fact, if you look through, he does not give the guy an answer. But he tells a story. And what we're going to see is he's going to ask a different question in the end. So what, so which, if you're asking a question, let me tell you, and then you, the person responds with, well, I'm going to tell you a story once upon a time. And you're like, no, just answer my question. But Jesus is after something deeper. And that's true for all of us in our lives. We want, the, we want simple questions, simple answers, and Jesus doesn't get that because he doesn't he doesn't give us it on a platter. He wants to get deeper and wants to look into uh, what, what we're after. I want to rephrase the question, though. Who is my neighbor? Here's a few ways we could rephrase it. Uh, who qualifies as a neighbor? Who qualifies for my neighborly attention? Who is excluded from the category of neighbor? Who don't I have to love? If the command is love your neighbor, and you're saying, okay, who is my neighbor? You're essentially asking, who don't I have to love? What are the limits of neighborliness? Okay, I'm going to be neighborly, but where are the boundary markers for where neighborliness ends? Like, who don't I have to be neighborly with? Who is the right person to love? So if he defines neighbor in a narrow way, you understand, okay, I'm supposed to love my neighbor, and if he defines neighbor in a narrow way, who, do I who don't I have to love? Anybody that falls out of the category of neighbor. And then finally, 
Who lies outside of the scope of those I should love? They're all slightly rephrasing the things, but this is what the guy is asking. Who is outside of the category of neighbor? Who don't I have to love? And if you think, oh, that, that seems like a horrible question to ask, it's often asked in our, our day and in our age. Uh, whether it comes up with, with politics or other things, if immigration comes up, do I need to love people who are from other countries? Do I need to love refugees? Do I, who do I need to love? Uh, even as our, our election was ramping up, you would hear stories of people with certain bumper stickers on the back of their vehicle, and then the tow truck guy comes up with a bumper sticker of the other guy, and then he pulls up and goes, I can't tow your car because you're on the other side. Which seems like a crazy story, but I heard a number of these happening where just because people are in these different categories, we say, oh, you're excluded from someone I should love. The categories we could think of are racial categories. If you are racially different from me, then you are excluded from the category of neighbor. We can think of economics. If you are not in the same economic class as I am, you are excluded. If you are not from the same country or same religion as I am, you are excluded from the category of neighbor. And we can go on and on political affiliation so essentially, this question is something we still ask today. Who is my neighbor? Who is excluded from the category of someone I need to give neighborly attention to? And oftentimes, when we debate these things, we go, well, that person got themselves into this situation, or that person is from a different religion, or that person is a different ethnicity. It's their problem. I don't have to be concerned with that. They're persons from another country. They need to deal with their own problems. And so often we're trying to draw these circles around us. Who are the people I should love? And I think the way we would want to answer the question, who is my neighbor, we would say everybody is. But Jesus doesn't even do that. So are you on the edge of your seats, what Jesus does do here? Okay. So let's look at the parable. Verse 30. Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. So this is the story. You probably know it well. There's a guy walking down the road. It's a dangerous road. He gets jumped by a bunch of robbers. They rob him. They beat him. They leave him half dead, half naked on the side of the road. And then Jesus says, uh, the next thing that comes by is a priest. 
high religious pedigree, like a leader of the nation, like a leader of God's people, very closely related to God. He, he was a mediator between the Jewish people and God, and this priest was near to him and taught the law, and he passed by on the other side of the road, he like sidestepped. He's like, now, his reasoning may have been like positive religious reasoning. He may be, if I touch someone, I'll be unclean. Because in their law, if you touch blood or, deal, or what if the guy dies, you deal with a corpse. And so there's certain things that keep someone from being clean. And so this guy may be on the way to very intense religious duty. And if he stops to help him, he may be late. He may not be able to do it because he'll be rendered unclean by this interaction with this guy. So he steps aside. Next guy, a Levite. Also, high religious pedigree. Very impressive. People will be like, okay, the priest, maybe he couldn't do it because he's got some religious stuff going on. But the Levite, he's going to help. He's going to help. And what does he do? Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by the other side. He didn't just overlook him. He saw him, and then he passed by the other side. Now, if you're listening to this, you might be like, oh man, this is going to be a critique against the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders of the day. And if you're listening to this, you might be going, okay, I think Jesus is going to say, there's an ordinary, regular, just run-of-the-mill Jewish guy who loves God and loves neighbor, and he's going to help this guy. You're going to be like, he's going to be the hero, and it's going to be a critique of all these powerful people. But here's what happens. Verse 33, it says, but a Samaritan. Okay. You may not be familiar with what a Samaritan is. A Samaritan was someone who, to the Jewish people, was ethnically, culturally, and religiously other. They didn't even want to associate with them. So a Samaritan, if you go back in history, Israel was exiled. They were conquered by an empire. They were thrown all over their empire, but some of the people stayed there and basically intermingled and married with the people who conquered them. And the Samaritans were basically called half-breeds. So it was basically a, a racist thing going on that Jewish people did not like Samaritans because they, they had babies with the people who conquered them. And so this is generations after that. But still, they're like, ugh, Samaritans. Samaritans were religiously other. They did not follow all the Jewish laws. In fact, uh, they were culturally other. The Jewish people, when they were going to Samaria, went around Samaria. They didn't even want to go in there. It's kind of like uh, in America at certain points, oh, we don't go in that area. We don't go to that neighborhood. We don't go to that part of the city. We drive around it because that's not where we belong. That's not where we want to go. The Jewish people treated Samaria like that. They drove around it. They went around it. They didn't want to go through it. In fact, if you remember in John chapter 4, there's a story in which typically they would go around, but Jesus took the trip and went through 
and ended up interacting. And there was some controversy because Jesus interacted with some people who were from Samaria. And they said, who, who is Jesus to do that? And so as, you're listen, as the Jewish people were listening to this story, imagine the shock that the Samaritan was the hero. The Samaritan is the one who acted. So in our day and age, in general, in the circles, most of us run in, uh, racism is not really allowed at all. If you say something, people will be like, hey, you, you can't say that. And if you look back at our history, there were, that was not always so. I'm not saying racism is gone, but it's politically incorrect to say we don't like those people because of their color. There are people that do that. But if you can imagine a culture that would gladly say we hate those people because they're different from us, obviously goes against many of the diverse values that we have uh, in America in mainstream culture. But if you can imagine, there are many places all around the world where people are excluded because of their skin tone, excluded because of their skin color. In fact, in America, we're finding an increase of people reacting hos with hostility towards people. Uh, I, there's young girls on my street who just because uh, they have the skin tone of someone from Mexico, uh, they've been taunted and harassed as they walk down the street. They've been, uh, people at their work have said, I refuse to work with them. Uh, there are stories of, we often hear stories of sheiks who uh, are not, they aren't Muslim, but people think they are. And then they, there was a story the other day of someone who was Muslim who they threw acid at them. And there was this hostility. So it is still present in our world. So if you could think about, like, this is blatant prejudice. Basically, they make the hero of someone they would exclude. They would say, you, a Samaritan is not a neighbor. They're completely other, both religiously, culturally. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. I just want you to sit there in that moment and imagine the shock that Jesus does here. The person that the entire crowd listening to this story would say is excluded from being a neighbor, excluded from someone that we need to love, ends up being the hero, ends up being the epitome of neighborliness. He helps him, he bandages him up, he puts him on his own animal, which if he puts him on his own animal, that means he's walking. He brought him in and took care of him. The next day, he took out two, two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. So it cost him personally. He saw this guy in need. It cost him time. It cost him energy. It cost him money, but he helped this guy because he saw someone who was in need. And if we're in shock, if you could think of any category of person that you, like, this is a category you hate. So if you're really political and you think, oh, 
What if I came across a Republican on the side of the road? Or what if I came across a Democrat? Or whatever bumper sticker you saw on someone's vehicle and you saw them broken down. Maybe they were, they were robbed. Maybe they were hurt. Is there anyone you'd be like, I don't want to stop by and help them? I think bumper stickers are such a good thing because sometimes I see certain bumper stickers. I'm like, oh, I can't stand that person. Or even as I'm online, uh, there, there's sometimes horrifying things that happen, whether it's a shooting and it's either targeted at, maybe it's an ideological different group. So it, recently there was a shooting at Republicans uh, as they're practicing on a baseball field. And I could see that there were some people on the other side of the political aisle having a tough time with being sad about it. Like, they're like, uh, but the guy kind of deserved it because of who he was. And, yada, yada. and I think all of us have those impulses. When it's a group that's different than ours, whether it's cultural, religious, ethnic, whatever it might be, we sometimes have trouble feeling sorry or having compassion for someone from a different category. And that's true for all of us. What is that category for you? What are the people that lie outside your definition of neighbor? Who are those people? And who do you have trouble going, I would have trouble having compassion and showing mercy to them. You may say, in my, I, wouldn't, I would never have trouble with that. I would love everybody. But if we want to dig down deep into our hearts, we know our hearts have the same propensity to exclude people from the category of neighbor, to say, those are the kind of people I do not need to love. And then Jesus asked a question. Verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? What was the first question? Does anyone remember what question the guy asked at the beginning before Jesus told the story? What was it? Who is my neighbor? Now you think Jesus gets to the end of the story. He tells his story to answer that question, and then he would just give the answer. Who is my neighbor? Well, anybody you come across who's in need. And Jesus doesn't do that. This is the part that blew my mind. Because I'm like, okay, Jesus tells the Good Samaritan story to say anybody in need who you come across, even if they're from a different category, uh, that is your neighbor. That is who you should love. And Jesus doesn't do that. Verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands? Do you see what he does there? The guy is trying to prove himself at the start. Who is my neighbor so I can justify myself, so I can prove that I have loved enough? And Jesus flips it. He says, who proved to be a neighbor? And it changes the position from asking, who out there is my neighbor? Who falls out of the category of neighbor? Who fits within the category of neighbor? Who should I love? And it focuses on all those other people, all the people out there. But Jesus turns it back and says, who proved to be a neighbor? He redefines neighbor. 
The guy's like, neighbors are people out there who receive love. Jesus says, no, neighbors are people who show love. That's how he flips around. He doesn't even answer the question. He says, okay, I don't want you focused on who out there fits into the category of people you should love. He says, I want you to focus in your heart. Who are you? Are you a neighbor? One of our core values at Crosswinds is neighborliness. If you look at at our little pamphlets, that's one of the core values we have listed there. Because neighborliness isn't about who fits into the category of neighbor out there, but it's about who we are as a church, who we are as Christians. I want to share a few ways we could juxtapose these two questions and show you how Jesus shifts what he's saying. So for the first guy asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus asked, who proved to be a neighbor? The guy asked, who is not my neighbor? Jesus asked, am I a neighbor? The, the guy asked, is this my neighbor? Jesus says the correct question is, what kind of person am I? Whereas the first question was, who qualifies for neighborly attention? The question we need to be asking is, am I acting neighborly? Whereas the first question was, who is the right person to love? The correct question, am I loving rightly? So often we get bogged down in who we should love and who we shouldn't love. Who should we have neighborly concern for? Who should we have compassion for? Who should we have mercy for? And so often, it's for people in our own group. It's for Christians. It's people of our own ethnicity. It's people of our own culture. It's people of our own nation. But Jesus says, you're asking the wrong questions. The question is, are you a neighbor? Are you loving rightly? See, he positions it in our hearts. He digs down deeper. So the question about who we should love and when we should act and show mercy, well, that might be a conversation we need to have. Do you have the same amount of responsibility for the people that are right around you and people that are on the other side of the world? We live in a global society, so these questions are very difficult to answer. With the questions, I mentioned this briefly, of refugees, So often the question is, well, do we have any responsibility for them? Do they fall within the category of neighbor? And Jesus says, wrong question. The question is, am I loving rightly? Now, that does not mean there's any conversation there. Sometimes there there are these books called, they go by the title, toxic charity or when helping hurts. And so those are also conversations where just because someone is hurting doesn't mean you should do everything for them. Sometimes when you help someone and give them charity and give them handouts, you're actually not helping them, you're hurting them. But so often we get bogged down in those details. And when we see someone in need, we're like, well, should I? Shouldn't I? Again, conversations we should have But the main question we should have is, am I loving rightly? Remember, Jesus redefines neighbors. Whereas the guy questioned defines neighbors as neighbors are ones who receive love. Jesus says, actually, neighbors are ones who demonstrate love. 
So neighbors are not people out there. It becomes our identity. To be a neighbor is to show compassion and to act and to care about others. It's to show mercy. Anyone who is in need is an object that we can show compassion and mercy and love to. And how does uh, the man answer this question? So Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Verse 37, the one who showed mercy to him. Notice he didn't say the Samaritan. He didn't say the Samaritan. Because he's still like, I do not like Samaritans. I do not want to love Samaritans. That is just one category of people not a fan of. But he says, the one who showed mercy to him. And then Jesus told him, go and do the same. So instead of trying to justify ourselves, have I done enough? Have I loved all the right people? Who don't I need to love? Jesus says, let's look at the heart of the issue. Am I loving rightly? Am I a neighbor? And this is one of the hearts of what we want to create as we make disciples at Crosswinds. We want to make neighbors. Neighbors are people who take ownership of the world around them. And when people are in need, they say, what can I do? How can I show mercy? How can I show compassion? Whether our neighbors look different from us, whether they believe differently than us, whether they are culturally different, whether they speak different languages, they do not fall outside of the category of people to be loved. Whether they're morally different from us, sometimes we're like, oh, that person lives differently than I do, so I don't need to love them. They are excluded from that category But Jesus calls us to be neighbors. And the word neighbor should fill our hearts with warmth because we are longing to be these neighbors. And how do we know what a neighbor is? Because Jesus became a neighbor to us. Jesus, who was God, moved into the neighborhood and became humanity's neighbor. He moved in and walked shoulder to shoulder with us, and saw people hurting, and saw people in pain, and he didn't ask, well, does that person fit within the categories of people I should love? Because he knows, oh, that person's a sinner, that person's ethnically different, there's all these categories, and Jesus does not care about those categories. He just loves, and he sees us And we're like the guy walking down the road who gets jumped. Sometimes you get jumped because you're foolish. Because you've messed up your... You've put yourself in that situation. You've chosen to go down a certain path and you find yourself in sin and shame and a whole mess because of what you have done. And sometimes... Along that path, there are other people who have wronged you and have hurt you and have robbed you. Maybe they've robbed you of some innocence. Maybe they've robbed you of some dignity. Maybe they've hurt you dramatically. And you lie on the edge of the road. 
But who comes down that road? There may be people who walk past, but Jesus does not. Jesus stops and sees us on the side of the road, and he stops and sees us on the side of the road in the cross. See, in the cross, Jesus bore all that sin, all that shame, all that pain, all that hurt. All the things that others have done to us, he bore that sorrow on the cross, and he comes to us. Jesus is the greater Good Samaritan in that he comes along and rescues us, and it costs him. He, he pays for us with his own blood and his own death, and he shows us the way of neighborliness. That Jesus has been a neighbor to you because he saw you in your need and he didn't cross by the other side of the road, but he had compassion on you. His heart went out to you. That's why Jesus came because his heart was full of warmth for you. And he didn't just have warm feelings for you, but he acted just like the Samaritan didn't go, oh, I feel really bad for that guy on the side of the road. I sure hope someone helps him. Jesus didn't just have those warm feelings, but he acted. See, you can't be a neighbor with just good sentiment, which I think can be so difficult because a lot of times we like to argue who should we love in like these big political categories. And people go, oh, we should love immigrants. We should love refugees. We should love all these people out there. We should love all these people in need. And we never actually consider whether we should act and do something. We just have warm feelings and say, you know what? We, by we, I don't mean me. I mean society in general should do something for those people who are hurting, those people who are in need, those people who are suffering, that society should do something. But what does the Good Samaritan do? He acts, and it cost him. It cost him money. I was just thinking about this. My wife cares a lot about people and helps people. And I'm like, yes, that's great, but can you do it without money? Can we care for them without spending our money? And I realized that I'm good with having compassion and having your heart go out to someone. I'm good with having mercy and helping someone, but not so much that it costs me in my bank account. I do not like this. But God's using my wife to teach me that it costs. The, the good Samaritan, as he's coming along the road, it costs him a lot. And I think my main concern, if I was going to put a guy up in a hotel and care for him medically, would be, how much is this going to cost me? So sometimes we like to think, oh, uh, making a lot of money, that's not good. Uh, that's not very Christian-like, but maybe it is. Maybe making a lot of money and allowing the overflow of that to bless the people around you is a beautiful thing. Maybe it's what God, God is calling you to. Some of us don't take a huge paycheck. Some of us are, are just stuck without much money. Some of us, but maybe God is calling you to, to make more so you can bless people. Out of the overflow. So as we age, a lot of times our income will go up. 
and then our level of living will go up. But maybe God is calling us to allow our income to go up and our level of living to stay there so we can bless people out of the abundance that God has given us. Again, I've just admitted I'm not a fan of that. Like, that would be hard for, for me. Oh, we have more money, more to spend. Like, oh, you want to help people? You want, you want to spend that? But that's what hit me with this passage. It costs this guy so much. In time, in energy, in actual cash. But it wasn't just warm feelings. So often we get in those debates. Who should we love? We should love that person. And by love, we mean have warm feelings towards that category of people. Those people suffering, we should have warm feelings for them. And we can't do something for everyone. But the question is, what can you do? How can you love others? And Jesus showed us that perfectly. He had compassion. He showed mercy. And he acted. And it cost him. And so you're like, I'm not sure I have what it takes to be a good Samaritan. I'm not sure I have what it takes to have compassion and show mercy. Well, the truth is you don't have what it takes. When the commands are given, love God and love neighbor, we all fail at that. But you want to know who followed that perfectly? Jesus Christ. He, followed, he loved God with all his being. He loved his neighbor as himself, and by that we are redeemed by what Christ has done for us. We trust in him and what he has done for us, and our hearts are transformed to be neighbors, to love those around us, to show mercy. And as a church, we are the neighborly people. When people look out into the community, who should be the ones showing the most neighborly concern for those around them? It should be the church. Because we have been shown neighborly concern by Christ. God has come near to us and been our neighbor. We are called to be neighbors to those around us. Whether they have different political affiliations. Whether they have different ethnicities. Whether they are from different cultures. Whether they speak different languages. We should be the people who embrace those around us, and show mercy when people are in trouble, when people need help. We can get bogged down in the questions of, okay, who am I responsible for? Who should I meet? Who, what needs should I meet? And we can get bogged down in all those things. But Jesus brings it back to our heart. Are you a neighbor? Are you loving rightly? Are you showing compassion, concern, and mercy to those who are hurting, because God showed that to you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for how much you love us, so much so that you acted. You showed us mercy when we were hurting. Showed us compassion when we were on the side of the road. And I pray that you would make us into people who are neighbors who show love and concern for all people, that we would be more concerned with who we are and less concerned with who all those people are, but that we would look to show compassion and mercy at every turn. We pray that you would make us into those people by your transforming power of your spirit, 
that would be filled with the fruit of the Spirit, and that we would be known as neighbors. I pray that this church in Elevation and the church around Grand Rapids and America, that we would embody the concern for others. That we would be neighbors. That when you come to a community, you would see the church being neighbors, showing concern and compassion for others. We pray that we would always celebrate the fact that you have been a neighbor to us. We pray that we would prove in our actions this week and throughout the summer and throughout the year and prove by our actions that we are neighbors by the transforming power of your spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.